from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I chose Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 as our text this evening, uh, basically just to change it up so we wouldn't be reading the same text uh, two services in a row, but our focus is going to be on Psalm 118.24 again tonight. But I do believe that the message of Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 is certainly very relevant to our lives, and it does communicate, I think in a very real way, what we were discussing this morning. And Solomon is telling us, of course, that uh, what we need to do in, in life is to do everything with all of our might because there's coming a time when there's going to be some, uh, you know, slow walking and sad singing for each of us. There will be an appointment for, for each one of us. And so what we do in this life needs to be done and it needs to be done today. In our text, Psalm 118, verse 24, by the way, thank you for being here tonight. I didn't say that, did I? I'm glad to see all of you looking a little windblown, some of you, but uh, otherwise unscathed. I'm so glad that this is uh, a top priority in your life tonight. In Psalm 118, 24, this morning we, on the front half of this message, we acknowledge the fact that uh, what David is writing there is prophetic in nature. If you back up a couple of verses, specifically verse 22, you'll see actually the, a reference to the cornerstone. So he's talking about the time when Jesus is going to, to come and bring salvation. But uh, that's, I think, specifically the day that he has in mind when he says, uh, let's rejoice in, in that day. But I believe also, as we noted this morning, that there's a very practical application to that text that each of us needs to appreciate and to apply to our lives. Not just prophetic in nature, but really a spiritual challenge for each of us to make the very most of every day. And, and to specifically, as he says at the end of that verse, to rejoice in that day. And that's difficult for a lot of people. That may sound a little strange. That it's difficult for people to actually rejoice in the day that, that God has made. But it is because some folks are just, well, let me put it this way. They're born in the objective case of the negative mood. You know, they're, they're born with a negative bone in their body. And so it's more difficult for them to actually learn how to, to approach life and view life from a positive perspective and to be grateful and rejoice in each day that God has blessed us with. There are five biblical facts that we are trying to draw from Psalm 118.24 about this day and every day that I think will help make each one of those days very special. Because when we make every, and that was the premise of this morning's lesson, when we make every God-given day a God-governed day, it will always be a God-gladdened day. And and that may be one way to describe in a synoptic form our text for this morning and this evening. Uh, Verse 24 is is a wonderful verse. And, And again, one that serves as a challenge to each of us. We began the study this morning by mentioning two vital facts about today that we need to know in order to make each day a a great day. Number one, we need to know that today is a provided day. That is, as David has specifically said, take note of the fact that this is the day that God himself has made. We also notice that the language there, the word made, comes from the same word that you find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, talking about God's creative power when he made this universe and all that's within it. So each day is a gift. But like any gift, the value we receive from the time allotted to us is up to us. It's it's much like financial resources or any other asset that you may have. 
What you do with that is totally up to you. And time is no exception. Today we have a gift from God. And because it's God's gift, that means that we're stewards of it. And we need to be good stewards of the time that God has allotted to us. Second, today is a present day. We notice the grammar in the text and how that the word is there. This is the day. Is present tense in nature. The psalmist isn't looking back to the past. He isn't looking forward to the future. But his focus is on the present day that lies before us. We also admitted that keeping our focus on the presentness of today isn't always easy. It can be rather challenging. And that's because some of us want to either relive yesterday or maybe even pre-live tomorrow. We are living in anticipation of what might yet come. We also talked about the fact that worry is a waste of this day that God has given us. And yet so many people. And I'd like to be able to say that all of these people are outside the kingdom of Christ. But they are. There are a lot of people that are, that are dominated by worry and depression. And I, be, I believe at least a part of the remedy would be to understand and apply the nature of this text. This is the day that the Lord, the Lord has made. So let's make the choice to rejoice. We asked the question, wouldn't it be wonderful if there's someone who could carry our burdens so that we didn't have to worry about the particular things that we're dealing with each day? And the answer, of course, to that is we do. And his name is Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, tonight, please consider three additional facts about today that I think will help make this text come alive, but more importantly, to make it very practical in terms of its application to our lives. Today is also, in the third place, a precious day. I think we would all agree of the value of the time that God has given to us. And the closer we get to our sunset years, I believe the more, if we have any spiritual sensitivity about us at all, the more we appreciate the fact that God has given this allotted time. And if we see the, hour, the sand in the hourglass running out for us, then we ought to value that time even more. But when we're young, we sometimes think that we're invulnerable and that we'll live forever. But as we get older, we realize that's not true, number one. Number two, we realize we wouldn't want it to be that way. God did not intend for us to live on this planet forever. This world is not my home. What we are clothed in is a fleshly coat, as it were. Someday we'll be able to take off this old coat and we'll be able to put on a spiritual body that is made and designed for eternity. That's a wonderful thought that becomes, I think, more precious as the years go by. So since God has made today, he's the one who has created this day for us, that within itself makes it precious. And we need to value today and every day as a precious commodity. And the Bible says we're eternal beings. We understand that. Again, the physical body is, is temporary in nature. It's designed to be that. The spiritual body, the soul, is eternal in nature. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, he described it this way. He has put eternity in our hearts. And so we were made to be eternal beings, created by and for the eternal God. And that makes time more than just fleeting commodity. Because of who we are, there's something of eternity in, in every minute that we live. Time is the stuff of which life is made. And so that means to waste time is to waste life. Now, I don't mean to put more gravitas on this subject than God intended, but I do believe that we need to appreciate and we need to value the time that God has blessed us with. When we're in our college years, we look behind to the years that we've already experienced. We look forward, hopefully, with, with a positive attitude and with anticipation for the future. And what will happen when we graduate and when we're out in the world and we find a job or we start our homes and, and all the rest of those things. That is a part of the cycle of life. 
that God intended for us. Unlike what Solomon described in the book of Ecclesiastes as just one boring routine. This, early on in the book of Ecclesiastes, you may recall, he described life in each day as just boring routine. The same thing over the day. You get up, you go to work, come home. You get up, go to work, come home. That's not the way God intended for our lives to be lived. He wants us to live a grand adventure. He wants us to find excitement in life. He wants us to find the joy in life. And I think that's a part of what our text is all about. And if we miss that, then we're missing out on what God designed life to be about. So to kill time really is suicide by degrees. The Bible urges us to take careful account of the minutes that we've been given today. The Bible says things like this, and I appreciate the practicality of Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, where Paul said by inspiration, Take care, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming, that literally means to buy up the time because the days are evil. Paul is telling us in those two verses, among other things, don't waste the time that God has blessed you with. Redeem or buy up the time, don't waste it. Don't spend it in a thoughtless sort of way or a flippant sort of way. So the art of victorious living is to be able to spend time just the way Paul described. To spend it wisely and not foolishly. In the long ago, Moses wrote Psalm 90 and verse 12. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? On a fundamental level, he's helping us to appreciate that if we view life and realize that our time on this planet is temporary, it is limited, it's going to make a difference in the quality of our life. That is, if, if we're, we're looking at it the way God would have us to look at it. But how can we spend our time wisely? That's the real challenge. Uh, let me give you very quickly four ideas that I think are worth putting into practice that will help us to use our time wisely. Number one, spend enough time with God to get a clear sense of his direction. And the only way to do that, of course, is through your prayer life, when you're speaking, communicating to God. But more importantly, getting God's direction, understanding where God wants you to go with your life and what he wants to do in your life is going to require time spent in the word of God. So spend time, and, and, and again, I can't prescribe exactly how many minutes, how many hours, how many chapters, how many whatever you need to be doing on a daily basis. But I'm just challenging you as my brothers and sisters in the spiritual kingdom that you need to be spending some time in the word of God every day. You need to get a sense and again, a, 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 a greater sense of God's direction in your life. And the only way to do that is by constantly, perpetually, regularly looking at this divine roadmap. It's never a waste of time to wait on God. Let me say that again. It's never a waste of time to wait on God. Conversely, there's enough time in every day to do all that God wants us to do because that's the way he's designed us and that's the way he's designed time. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Now, I believe that we would all be in tacit agreement that he was absolutely correct about that assessment of his own life. He came and did exactly what the Father intended for him to do when he came to this planet. Wouldn't that be wonderful if every one of us could come to the day of our death and to be able to say honestly, I have finished the work that you sent me to do. Paul was able to say that. I've I finished the course. He said, I've done what God set out for me to do. And if you want a, a prayer to guide you in seeking God's will each day, use this petition from Scripture. Psalm 4, verse 6, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. 
I, I need your illumination. I need your direction every day. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to start each day? Just asking for God's direction in our life and then seeking that in his word. Number two, set, and, and there's no ranking of importance with these four suggestions, but uh, put an asterisk by this one if you're taking notes. Set God-honoring priorities. It's been my experience, personally, as well as talking to fellow Christians over the last half century, that this is a, a really uh, sticking point in the life of a lot of children of God. This is a challenge for each of us. And, and that's because life isn't always a simple choice between good and bad. Many times it's a choice between what's good and what's best. And so we can look at two alternatives. Here's how I can spend my time on this particular day. And, and that, that would be a good thing. But am I sacrificing something that would be even better or maybe even best by just doing what might be good? We could say there's nothing wrong with what I've chosen to do today, and that's well and good. But, but don't spend the rest of your life being content and satisfied with doing what's good when you can do what's best. What God really would have you to do to optimize the potential that you have for life. Don't let the good steal the best from your day. I like the fact that Paul said over in Philippians 3.13 that we noted this morning, he said, this one thing I do, not these 12 things I dabble in. You see, Paul said there's got to be some single-mindedness of purpose as we approach each day. We've got to lock in. We've got to focus on what we're going to be doing every day of our lives. You know, just maybe the saddest thing in today's world is misplaced priorities. I heard about a woman who said to her husband as he was leaving for work one day, sweetheart, don't forget the fact that we're, and, and fathers and husbands, some of you can re relate to the story that I'm about to tell. She, she said before he left for work, looked him, made eye contact, you know, eyeball to eyeball, and said, do not forget the fact that we are moving today. Do not come back to this house when you come home from work today. Made it as clear as she thought it could possibly be. Don't come back to the old address. Well, he answered a bit aggravated as he drove away. You don't need to remind me. Don't you think I can remember that? Now, don't get ahead of me here. Sure enough, the man got so absorbed in his work day and so interested in, in, in what he was doing there that he drove back to the old address and the old house that evening. But this time when he got home, the door was locked. There was a realty sign in the yard. The house was empty of furniture. And he said to, a, to himself, oh, oh, no, I am in deep trouble. She said that I would forget, and I did. And to make matters worse, I don't remember where we moved to. Well, just then he saw a little boy on a bicycle that was riding by on the sidewalk. said to him, do you, do you remember the family that used to live in this house? And the little boy said, yes, sir. He said, would you happen to know where they've moved? And the little boy looked him in the eye and said, Daddy, Mommy said that you would forget. <laughs> I'm, I'm submitting that that's a man with misplaced priorities. We ought to say, listen carefully to me now. We ought to say no to at least one thing each day so that we can say yes to something that's more important. Set God-honoring priorities to use your time well. Number three, recognize procrastination is what it is. It's a sin. There are lots of jokes I know that are about procrastination and, you know, procrastination meetings. They've been put off till tomorrow and all the rest. But there's nothing funny about delayed obedience. And, and that's really what procrastination is. It's really 
Disobedience is what it is. If we know that God wants us to be doing something, he wants us to be doing something with our lives, he wants us to be doing something with our lives today, he wants us to be accomplishing something that will, that will garner his approval and that will be pleasing to him, and we're not doing it, then we're not, we're not really walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We're not really obeying God the way we should. The Bible has a strong word for the procrastinator. Over in James 4.17, James says as clearly as possible. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. If you know what you ought to be doing, you know how you ought to be using your time and you're not doing that, James says that's a transgression of the will of God. So we usually think of procrastination as you know some minor infraction, like putting off cutting the grass or putting off taking out the trash. Doing our, our work promptly is important. But more important is avoiding the mindset that procrastination will always produce in our hearts and lives. And that mindset says that we're going to begin laying aside that bad habit. Or we're going to begin developing this spiritual development process. We're going to start really growing closer to God. We're going to start getting spiritually closer to to God and to God's people. And we're going to do that tomorrow. How easy it is to put those kinds of things off until some later time. But that's not the way it works. We need folks to learn, and I mean this from my heart to yours, we need to learn the habit of immediate obedience. Not just saying, that's right, that's what God wants us to be doing, that's what he wants me to be doing, but I'm, I'm going to start doing that today. Today is too precious to put off its joys and its tasks until tomorrow. This old piece of advice I think will stand you in good stead. If you want to develop character, do something that you don't feel like doing When you don't feel like doing it. Do I need to say that again? If you want to develop character in your life, do something that you don't feel like doing when you don't feel like doing it. And you'll learn some discipline. But today is also a passing day. I think that's implied in the text, Psalm 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. That means that this day is not going to be here forever. Now, we all know that. And even when we're young enough to learn to tell time... We, we got, I, I think, some sense even at that early age of how quickly time begins to pass. By the way, I, I was listening to the radio the other day, strangely enough, in, in a commercial. They call it commercial radio for a reason, by the way, folks. I can ride all the way from my house to the church building and never hear any music. It's always just commercial. But anyway, it was in the commercial, it was talking about how that we've raised a generation to not know the difference, what, what counterclockwise or clockwise means. The kids have been raised looking at digital clocks. And so a clock face doesn't mean a lot to that generation. But anyway, that's a different sermon, isn't it? Boy, I got off. Uh, but, but, but God tells us the same thing in his word. Time is moving. Time is filled with swift transition. Today is going to be gone. So very soon. Our lives look like time-lapse photography. And the Lord realized that when he said in John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works, this is Jesus speaking, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day, for the night comes when no man can work. I don't think the Lord was talking about when the sun goes down, we're out of business here. He was talking about when life ends, that's when the sun goes down. And so I need to do what I'm, I'm doing while I'm here and God has blessed me with life. So time is, is, is really a strange commodity that way. You can't save it, you can't borrow it. You can't loan it, you can't leave it, and you can't take it. There are only two things, folks, that you can do with time, and that's use it or lose it. Consider these truths about time. Time can't be stopped. 
You can take a time out in a ball game, but you can't take time out in life, can you? You can't freeze frame it. Time can't be stored. You can put money away in the bank, but you can't do that with time. Time can't be stretched. You can put another cup of water in the soup and make it last longer and feed more people, but you can't add a second to time. Time can't be shared. I can give you many things, but I can't give you any of my time in the sense of taking hours away from my life and adding them to your life. All I can do is to spend time with you. As someone has aptly said, daylight saving time doesn't change a thing except our clocks. Given the passing nature of time, how important it is that we realize what we've been talking about already tonight. And that is that we use it wisely. The pioneer missionary Robert Moffat said, We shall all have eternity in which to celebrate, celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before the sun sets in which to win them. And that's really what life is about. What we're experiencing in this earthly life is so short compared to eternity. Just an hour to win all of those victories, but eternity to be able to celebrate them. A woman once wrote, I think I mentioned one derivation of this story a few weeks ago. She was writing to the late advice columnist Ann Landers, and, and, and the essence of her letter was, I'm 36 years old. My family's trying to get me to go back and finish my education, but if I, do, if I do that, I'll be 40 years old when I graduate. What do you think about that? And Ann's answer, of course, was a classic. She said, how will you be four years from now if you don't go back to college? You know, same answer. The point is clear. Time is passing. So seize it and use it while you can. My message is today is the most important day in your life. I think that's the message of Psalm 118.24. The thought that our days are limited doesn't have to be depressing. Sometimes people sit around in, in doom and gloom about the, the brevity of life. But it's really a wonderful thing. It's really even wonderful. And I know that sounds strange. That our bodies are wearing out. But God designed us that way. See, if we never had any aches or pains or illnesses, nobody would ever want to leave this planet. But we come to a time where this physical body begins to wear out. It begins to hurt. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. And God says, that's, that's me preparing you for eternal place where you'll have a brand new body designed for eternity. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I'll tell you what. There may be people sitting there thinking, well, when you get old, you'll change your mind. No, as I get older, the more convicted I am of that reality of life. It is wonderful that God designed our bodies to be only temporary and our souls to be eternal in nature. So it doesn't need to be depressing. It can, in fact, be an incentive. It can be an encouragement to each and every one of us each day that we live. You've heard the old saying, today is the first day of the rest of your life. But the truth of the matter is, today may be the last day of the first part of your life. If you want to look at it from that perspective, your times, the Bible says, are in God's hands. And you'll be here as long as he has something for you to do. So take David's inspired advice and rejoice and be glad in this wonderful day and use it wisely. And then finally, today, once again, I chat, struggled with what word to use here. Today is a providential day. If our times are, in fact, in the hands of God, and they are, then this is a providential day. Psalm 118.24, our text concludes that since today is God's doing, since today is God's handicraft, then he made it, then we will, David said, we will rejoice and be glad in it. The secret of joy then is to see the providence of God in everything and rejoice in it. 
And if we can see God's providence in this world, and we can see it more closely and more acutely than we ever have, if we'll keep our enlightened eyes tuned to see God working in this world, every day will become an exciting adventure. We'll look forward to each coming day. We'll enjoy each day while it's here. We'll use it to his glory. We'll praise him and thank him and glorify him for giving us this wonderful life. Oh, yes, filled with difficulties. Everybody has problems as long as we're on this earth. We understand that. That's the way that works as well. But God has blessed his people. You and I are blessed people. We're not victims. We're victors. And we need to remind ourselves of that each and every day that we live. I think that's a part of making that choice to rejoice that David is talking about here. So we need to see God's providence in every day. Nothing comes to you each day but what God either somehow arranges or he allows. I I, I think those are the two classifications of what happens to it. God either allows it. It may not be his ideal will for you, but he can still allow that. We see that over and over in the Old Testament. But he can also arrange certain things providentially to be factors in our lives or even people. I believe that. This is why Paul could write in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, in everything, Paul said, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Don't you think that's a part of the rejoicing that we do each day? It's thanking God for everything, being grateful for the way he's provided for us. Again, it was Paul who encouraged us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be careful or anxious for nothing. One version says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what this world needs. It needs some peace of mind, doesn't it? We need some peace in this world. We need some peace right here in this city. But we need the kind of peace that only God can give. We're not just talking about a political detente. We're talking about abiding peace so that when we pillow our heads each night, we can say with assurance and sincerity, it is well with my soul. You read on a few more verses and you'll just there in Philippians four, you'll discover why Paul was able to say that he could rejoice in all circumstances of life. He told the Philippians, for example, down in Philippians four eleven, he said, I have learned in whatever state I am in to therein be content. Isn't that a great gift? And and, and if Paul could develop and cultivate that gift, that ability in his life to be content in any situation, I'm telling you, so can we. And so consider that a challenge. These scriptures and, and a lot of others just like them remind us of the providence of God that's always at work in our lives. And we need to respond to that providential working with rejoicing to remind ourselves that we do need to make the choice to rejoice. There was a wonderful children's story that tells of a gruff old man who hears a robin singing on his windowsill one winter day. The man was irritated by the robin's song. Opened the window to ask the little bird why he was singing, especially on such a cold, bleak day. And the robin replies that he's singing because God provides for his needs every day and gives him food. But the old man said, but, it, but it's winter. And the robin replies cheerfully that even in the cold of winter, God always provides some crumbs to eat. And the man grouses out a reply and shuts the window. But soon he's moved by the robin's joyful song to begin putting crumbs on the windowsill for the robin to eat. I'm just telling you, God does provide for his people. Listen to me now. 
There's a reason why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always in Philippians 4 verse 4. And that's because the only way to rejoice is to rejoice in the Lord. Circumstances change, folks. But our God never does. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is, is not vacillating. James 1, 17 says, There is no variableness or variation. No, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. Someone would say, but you can't be happy all the time. And I would immediately agree with that. You see, God didn't, didn't intend for us to be happy all the time. It's not even God's will that you be happy all the time. You see, because happiness is temporary. Happiness is dependent on what happens to you. I'm, I'm sure you've noticed that the word happiness and happenstance have the same root word. And there's a reason for that. Again, happiness is dependent on what happens to you. Someone has said if your hap is good, then you're happy. But if your hap is bad, then you're unhappy. But joy, folks, joy does not depend on what happens. It comes from the Lord. Happiness is like a thermometer that registers conditions. Joy is like a thermostat that controls conditions. But even Jesus wasn't happy all the time. Isn't it amazing and interesting that in Isaiah 53, verse 3, one of the prophetic things that was said about the coming Messiah was this. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Even Jesus Christ was not happy every moment of his life. But I'm telling you this. He had, are you listening to me? He had constant joy. If you haven't thought about this lately, take this home with you. On the night before Jesus went to the cross to bear your sins and mine, he used the word joy seven times in that upper room. He knows he's going to die. He knows when he's going to die. And because of the prophecies of the Old Testament, he knows exactly how he's going to die. But when he's there with his closest disciples, and they ought to be comforting and reassuring him. He's comforting them. And he uses that little three-letter word, joy, seven different times in the upper room. And he said to his disciples, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. John 15, verse 11. You can check the Bible on it. Since today, folks, is a providential day, no matter what happens, you can rejoice when you make the conscious decision to do that. There may be pain, but joy is there to help you bear the pain. Or as a wise person once said, pain is inevitable, but misery is always optional. Do you want to have a great day every day? Then accept today and each day as a gift that has been fashioned by the creative and sovereign hand of God. Learn to, to live in the eternal now. Because today, just as the psalmist said, today is the only day that you and I have. And stop saying if I had time. Let me tell you, folks, you do have time. Stop fretting about yesterday. Stop waiting for tomorrow. Start living. And I mean really living today. Give God your today, and he will make it a work of beauty. Remember, when you make every God-given day a God-governed day, it will always be a God-gladdened day. The only way you do that is by rejoicing in the Lord. Some of you tonight are not in the Lord, but you can change that before you leave this place by saying, I'm going to turn my back on the sin of my life. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. I confess Jesus as the Son of God. I want him to be my Savior. 
and I want his blood to wash away every one of my sins in the waters of baptism. That's what some of you need to be doing before you ever walk out of this building tonight. And others of us need to recommit our hearts and our lives to living the way God would have us to live. Living joyful lives, living abundant lives, living for him, influencing others into the kingdom in such a way that someday we'll be able to sing when all God's singers get home. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?